0: So this will be the uh, third talk in the overview of the dependent origination theme that we're starting and then we'll start fleshing out each individual link, those conditioned links, but I wanted to sort of, I didn't want to rush through the overview Uh, and I want us to be sufficiently shocked by the presentation (laughs) of it so that it'll catch our attention It's not an easy topic by any means. Uh, It's not an easy topic to listen to and it's not an easy topic to realize and absorb, but it's central. It's central if you wanna move in accordance with where the teaching of the Buddha is located. We spend a lot of time on the peripheral, which is very very satisfactory, very satisfying, uh, but it doesn't really threaten us too much. It keeps us pretty much in place uh, with slight modifications and adaptations along the way. But when you take on the theme of dependent origination, it, it's, it's a little startling to say the least. And uh, also it demands more from us as a listener. Uh, some, like when you're about ready to go to a Shakespearean play you know you're gonna to have to listen in a different way than if you go to something by a local artist. And it requires a sort of a rising up to the location into the elevation of where Shakespeare is trying to take us in wit in wisdom. And so the Dharma does the same, especially around this topic. It's, uh, it's asks of us to uh, sort of stretch ourselves uh, sufficiently. Uh, no, I, we could make this very easy, and I could never touch this topic. Uh, we, I could talk and spend uh, e, uh, all of my days in front of you speaking about change and impermanence and unsatisfactoriness, and everyone's life certainly understands and hovers around those concepts. And we could be very uh, complacent in our practice as we listen to these because they're, they don't really challenge us. In, some ways, they require an adaptation, a slight modification, a little bit of uh, maneuverability uh, so that those uh, concepts can be uh, assented to and agreed upon and um, found and located within us. But uh, there's only really one topic in Buddhism that goes to the core of the teaching and that's emptiness, that is selflessness. And so it is with that point and purpose as I get older that I want to hold that topic and theme uh, constantly in front of us. Uh, it makes difference in terms of everything we do. Once we are safely inside ourselves as a secure unit of, of uh, belief, the sense of I, there is a paradigm that forms around that sense of I that is never questioned it's just consented to and believed in and i'll give you an example here in a minute Uh, and so our lives are then cocooned within this conclusion with the sense of self in the middle of that what's matter it's not you're not hearing me Okay, so I need a new set of batteries, so we'll just take a moment here and change batteries. Yeah, let me try it out. So we try to remember that this is the good one. We can. How's that? Is that okay? That's okay. Well, you saved my wrath from you because I have no idea where, I have no idea where I was. <laughs> so now maybe the gentle side of me will come out. <laughs> but don't count on it. Don't count on it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I I wanted to um, I wanted to uh, uh, make this topic as poignant as it really is, without scaring us so that we are afraid to take it on, but inviting so that it asks uh, that we can see that we can make inroads into it not uh, there it it's not uh, an an abrasive uh, uh, subject it's really an inviting subject and as we get over the fear of where it might take us, which it never does, by the way, it takes us, it lands us very gently into something that is m- much more appealing and joyful than the particular paradigm that we have been operating from. But we don't know that as we're switching paradigms. We Fear leads the way and we think that we're going to be losing a lot and that never happens. Uh, and so we stay within the... The, sort of the, um, an, an intellectual grasp of the subject why we try to realize some of the lesser points of the teaching. And the lesser points alter, are like little, slight alterations to the clothes you wear, but they don't really change your clothes. And so this, this subject really does allow us to uh, establish a whole different reference for ourselves and our place on the earth. So uh, and its entry is very. I mean, you can't hear now. You, is that is that all? Is that happening again? I don't have that ability. It's either. It to your mouth no, I can change batteries. That's that's the, that's what I can do. So I, I can in there Adjust the volume. No, let me just try to change change the batteries here. If this doesn't work, we're just gonna to have to go on, okay? No more hand waving. It's just just gonna go on. You may want to change your change your position. If you can't hear, just come closer. Okay? Yeah? All right. So I want to uh, give an example of what I mean. Now, um, let, let me just give an example that most of us can relate to, and that is stress at work, right? We don't really, we're at work and we actually wish we were at home. And so the sense that we're not where we want to be is a stressor on us. And we feel the pressure of that, of being in a location that we haven't really, that we have some resistance to. Okay, and that, that, is, that stress is pain, right? So it gets us, it wakes us up. We realize that our lives are tense and, and, uh, and tension-filled and so we try to do something about the tension which we think is the problem. So we go to a massage therapist and this is in no no way of judgment on massage therapy, but you you go in and you have this wonderful hour-long massage in which you are no longer abiding in the reality of your work. You're totally within the ease and luxury and comforts of the massage And then you get up out of that massage and go back to work and you're just as tense as you were before. It may last a little bit, but pretty much the tension assumes and resumes, does it not? And we keep trying to work with the tension, never realizing the tension is a byproduct of the way we think. And unless and until we change something that's much more at the center of the reason that we have the stress, the stress will continue forever. And we try to adapt to the stress, we try to do things which alleviate it slightly, but the stress continues because the stress is within the paradigm we carry. It's an automatic. Now let me explain what I mean by that. what's happening when we are in stress is that dependent origination, the chain, the linkages of dependent origination are not being seen. When we are wishing ourselves into another location, be it home or last year's vacation away from this job, we are creating the tensions of time. And you can be sure that the sense of self that, is composed of time. If you wanna know what you are as an image, the image exists by what we have known ourselves to be and what we project ourselves to become. And so it's based, the sense of me, the sense of me having a difficult time is because I'm comparing this moment with a memory in which this moment or this particular location was was either better than it is now or another location was better than this location is. And so we keep the wanting establishes the tension. Now, we can have all the massages in the world, but if we come back to the same job and we still have the same wanting to leave it, then the tension will resume. It's just that simple, isn't it? And it doesn't... And we keep trying to treat the symptoms of the disease, which is that we try to think ourselves out of the place that we are. Okay, so what does dependent origination tell us? What can we do to enter and change this situation so that stress is gone, rather than just momentarily alleviated through whatever we do to apply and countermeasure. Well, someone who is attuned to the mechanics of this and the art of it, first you realize that you are in pain. And that automatically cues you into the sense that, that there is some way that you are driving yourself out of this moment from tension, from wanting, from desire, from clinging, because the feeling tone, the sense that being in the workplace is, is unpleasant. And that unpleasantness is, is proliferating a whole narrative around the unpleasantness that has us desiring any place but here. And so the, in the sobering wisdom of what this asks of us, we really look at whether this job, as I now am in it, you know whether, whether I can drop, surrender my idea of being home in the middle of this job. If I can't, is there some way that I could find sufficient interest within this job so it no longer works as an antagonist to me? Something has to change. Either the job, I have to look at look at it in a different way so I can bring out certain qualities of the job that I like and therefore I can drop the sense of alternative location which causes the tension and the stress and the pain of me being here. Or I have to look at the narrative and see that it's hopeless. I'm here on this job and if I keep thinking, every time I think that I wish I weren't here, I feel the knife edge of pain touching me and then i'm getting sick and tired of living with that tension and there is nothing i can do about the tension except drop the the reason the tension exists which is to think of my think keep thinking of home and so we sober up and we look at the, what we're saying to ourselves and we realize that you know this idle chatter that's in us is really having its effect upon our our minds our life our attitudes, our body, because our body is now becoming hardened within that tension day after day, and I, and it's not just changing one's attitude, it's not just an adaptation to a new attitude, it's dropping the sense of any alternative place we could be. The truth is, you cannot be in an alternative place. That's the truth. First, you have to close all the doors of your escape route. I wish I had a better job, I wish I had a better boss, I wish I had a better wife, I wish I had a whatever. Those doors, as long as they're open, our minds will fly out of them. We close those doors. Why? Because they're not true. You don't have a better boss. You have the boss you have. You don't have another alternative. You only have what's in front of you. And when we see this conclusively, that's it. And as soon as we are willing to fall into that, the paradigm that formed around that, the paradigm of time and choice and alternatives and distance and and the tensions of my life and the narrative of that tension, it vanishes. What comes in place of it may not be pleasant. But unpleasantness does not have to drive us into a new scenario. And what happens in place of that old scenario, which was the tension between where I was and where I wanted to be, comes awareness. A new dimension in which, really, when one abides sufficiently in awareness fully, without any sense of reflex, and it's not about you being aware. As soon as you come back into it and say now I have to be aware of this because I know that that's the remedy for the misery I'm feeling. You stay there. Now you're applying awareness and you're applying awareness in order to get over your problem which is creating time and distance and the paradigm of suffering. (laughs) Let us learn this issue. This is a surrender game. This isn't an adaptation game. We give up the alternative because there's no such thing as an alternative. Not because it's the thing I can do to get out of my pain. Look and see. Is there an alternative to now? We have to live with the abject fact of that The reality that's before us. And then we actually, from that sobering, that sobering awareness, oh. suddenly it's it just floats. It just, there's buoyancy in it. There's buoyancy in it. When you allow presence in, even the feeling tone no longer catches your, catches you up. It just isn't a part of the fabric of this new paradigm. And then when it's time to go home, you go home. But not as a contradiction to you having been into the office, but it's because that's where the moment is now moving. You know, I see this uh, so frequently when we uh, people go on retreat and they touch they touch a sense of of that other paradigm. Yeah, it's not that they completely let go of the one that they're in, but they They sense the beauty and the effortlessness and the contentment available and they go enough into the new paradigm that they really don't want to go back into the old. So the question always comes up, what do I do to maintain this new paradigm? And that's the wrong question, isn't it? Because that is trying to adapt yourself into the new paradigm when you go home and you can't carry yourself along the fact is that as awareness becomes available to you the less you become the less you abide within it and you don't even notice your own absence you don't miss yourself it's not like you gave anything up to get there it's like the wind that just blows through a door through a window it just feels great it the 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 overarching sense is joy and so why, why claim ownership to something as, that as soon as you do brings you back into a tight, intense struggle to maintain that joy? Why would we want to do that? When we realize that to, as the poem said, as soon as I claim reference to it, there's pain. So you see, this is an invitation It's not a grueling struggle. And the invitation is one in which you move from happiness to greater happiness. (laughs) So if that doesn't invite you, and all volitional movements maintain me, That's what's so interesting and such a missed point, is that as soon as I try to do something to the struggle, or for the struggle, or against the struggle, I increase the struggle. I compound the problem. But it's not so strange to me that that happens because. That's just how we learn. What's so perplexing is that we don't realize that the struggle that when we do start trying to to intervene, we don't realize the increased stress of that intervention. We don't sense it as being the wrong way. We're going the wrong way. Hey, I'm, I'm under more stress. I'm going the wrong way. That should be sort of the blueprint for, our, for, our, for the movement forward. Is this leading to more ease and contentment? Is there less struggle in my life? And if the answer is no, then we're not going in the right direction. It's just that simple. Back off it. So spirituality really begins here and uh, it's, I think it's time for all of us to sort of become Shakespearean actors and actresses, go to the hard stuff and move into this thing, break out of some of the ways that we held ourselves in abeyance to this. So I want to now move into the rest of the linkages that I haven't spoken about but of course before I do that I have to speak about the ones I have spoken about to get you caught up so that I can then bring the others in and then of course I get halfway done and <laughs> it's time <laughs> seems to be the the course of thing. but okay so this is a set of conditions that we that we begin to sense that all these conditions influence each other. It's not like the, the link immediately, the preceding link is the sole reason why the next link arises. It's that all of these conditions, you can take any of these conditions and see the next link arising. And so the influence of all of these links sets the next, the, the tone for the next. And so ignorance, though, is a beautiful way to set the stage For ourselves to appear. When you appear. You appear because of ignorance. You're not seeing yourself as you truly are. That's why you appear the way you do to yourself. Is that you're not looking. So ignorance is missing missing the point. Not looking. Being unwilling to look. Or just not knowing how to look. So. That's the state of most of us. No matter how much mindfulness we impose upon ourselves, as long as there's a self in which we are using mindfulness, we are based in ignorance. So if you're interested in moving this thing so that we are free of ignorance, you have to look at the base on which ignorance rests, which is me. And to understand it thoroughly. Or it just maintains itself. And thinks that it's doing a real jo- good job. Looking at my mind. Looking at my this. My that. My struggles. Behind it is all shadow. In front of it. You're seeing. I am seeing things. But I refuse to see me. That's seeing the things I'm seeing. So how. How how free can we be when the light isn't 360 when it's best it's only 180 going out for me now because of ignorance certain imprints from the past begin to arise because I'm not willing to see the past begins to have influence and confiscate the present So I'm sitting here and suddenly I have an emotion, a feeling, uh, some disquiet in me. And now all of a sudden I'm I'm perturbed by something. And I'm being aware and I'm being aware of my being perturbed and I try to do something about my perturbance because that's what ignorance tries to do. It tries to manipulate the results of what it sees that it doesn't like. That's the way ignorance works. And so... It doesn't try to understand the intrusion of the past on the present. It tries to modify the past on the present, so that it can remain in the present, but be slightly adjusted. So it's not, we're not, I'm not quite as um, not quite as uh, as irritable as I was. So these conditioned tendencies, when unnoticed, when unseen. Remembering that the antidote to any of these is the seeing, is the understanding, is not the insertion of my attention into this so that I never, you know, that I never have to. It's just looking. It's just I want to understand what's going on here. So when pain arises, it should evoke a sense of importance. What's going on here? A curiosity of interest, not of aversion. That's what the self does in pain. But what awareness does in pain is it gets curious. I gave a talk once on active discernment. You might want to hear that talk again. It gets interested. It says, what's going on here? and it wants to flesh out the details so that it sees it correctly and so that it doesn't lose itself again in the same quagmire. And so he said, what, what's going on here? It's a very innocent, it's a very innocent, it's, it's the breath of innocence. It's, it's extraordinarily innocent because it doesn't have a motive, it's, it's just curious. It's hard to say that when I'm putting somebody in there but that somebody is not in there. This is awareness itself that's looking. Now unnoticed those laboring that, that laboring giant of the past intrudes upon our present. Suddenly the present isn't the present. I don't even care about the present because the past is telling me that I'm not content that I need more from something that I'm Inadequate, that I'm insufficient here, and that gets my attention because I'm not looking and I look out of the present into the future so that I can escape the sense of bondage the present uh, uh, implies. So that's ignorance and sanskaras now forming themselves into consciousness all of the details all of the past not seen it's just being driven by endless mind states state of mind one state of mind says I'm despairing and I'm so despairing and the next ten minutes later I'm, I'm happy and now I'm happy and ten more minutes later I'm miserable again and I don't even get it I don't get it you see I don't, I don't understand that I don't, I don't even I just think that's me ten minutes ago I was happy now I'm not what's there to know and so consciousness is that kind of I'm using it now as sort of the psychic whole of all the content and past and future expectations and it's all in there rumbling around and it seems so clear that all I have to do is get out of this present moment and put myself into a productive mode and get over this particular difficulty I'm having and then I'll be okay. So once we have consciousness and the past and ignorance <laughs> all together, we've got really a, we've got a, we've got a dark cave in there. Okay, so then we can start making things out of the universe, out of the world that our memory asserts itself upon the world, and we can start calling things like we can say, okay, body. I got a body now, I can start calling it a name. I can see form, recognize form because of my past memories and I can start reasserting the name I have for those, fo- those forms and that's called Nama Rupa in Pali, name and form, name and form. What you think that you, these names and forms don't arise in the moment? None of this is our static things, these are rising in the moment. As soon as you have a static condition, you have me. The me is just waiting for, for something to be thought of as static. And wait just a second because it gets interesting about that. Because after name and form come the, call, come the six senses. Out of this body that now I have a, called it a name, there's hearing, smelling, tasting, seeing, whatever the five are, and Thinking. Thinking in Buddhism is a sixth is the sixth sense, because it, if when you're quiet, you're hearing and thinking and you're not doing any of that. all that's coming in, you're receiving all of that. Now, we think hearing goes on all the time. No. It, it co, it's arising in, in, in the moment from the perpetuation of conditions, other conditions and then there's hearing there has to be all those other conditions in the moment for hearing to take place for seeing to occur that's weird isn't it but if there was constant hearing or seeing or then you're going to place yourself as being the constant seer the constant hearer so this thing begins to break apart Wherever we land, consciousness, sense doors, body, suddenly the rug is being pulled out. The Buddha is not allowing us to settle anywhere. And because there are six senses, the consciousness makes contact with those six senses. Something jumps out from the plethora of sights and sounds and catches our attention. That's contact. It jumps up and we see it. We notice it. And then I hear the bell. So there has to be the senses, there has to be the sense object the bell and there has to be consciousness for the conditions of me to say oh I hear the bell the Buddha said with contact the world arises and with the cessation of contact there is the cessation of the world see he's he's, we think oh that's nice let's move on to the next page (laughs) that's very unsettling right To think that the world's arising because of conditions. And yet, that's exactly the fact. And he doesn't uh, exaggerate. He's not a person given to exaggeration. And because there is contact, based in contact, intrinsic to contact, is feeling. I like this contact. I like what I hear. I don't like what I hear. I don't care. I neither like it or don't like it. It's kind of neutral. Those three flavors of feeling come with the contact. Now, we spring into action. (laughs) I mean, you could put yourself in there already because if you're hearing a bell, you and the recognition of that bell. You see, that's why it gets weird when you try to think of the preceding link as the cause of the next. But if you listen through this, you'll hear yourself come through it very clearly. When there is feeling, there then is clinging to that. Liking or not liking. I like this. I want more of it, of course. You lean into the situation and you elaborate now your mind starts engaging in what it likes through the memory of the of the sanskaras you remember that if you move into this in a certain way you can have it rest there it'll be very enjoyable and so that memory comes up and the consciousness invites that sense forward And the feeling of that sense data arises and the clinging to that sense data occurs and it occurs in terms of thought. This is the hooking point. Now we're talking to the world. And when we start talking to the world, we don't just see the world as it is. We start talking whatever we want to the world. We we create whatever dialogue we like with the world. I love you. I can't stand it when you are away from me. You are the most wonderful thing. If you were to leave, I would die. What? This is a feeling. This is sense contact. This is very simple and suddenly it has proliferated into a decim- decimation, a complete destruction if I didn't have it. Now we're into craving. Right? The hyperbole. The exaggerated thoughts. The emotion comes rushing in. Because if you need something, then by God, your emotion is right there confirming the sequensation of your language, of what you're saying about it. Or you don't like it. The emotion rushes in with a negative feeling liking not liking where's my comfort see we've established we've established a certain level a certain threshold in which we expect comfort and we've been able to establish that level of comfort sort of as a given our house was a certain degrees you know our luxuries our affluence even in the worst of situations, is never much below our threshold of comfort. We may not have as much money as we want, but it's pretty much within the range of our threshold of comfort. And we hear about Syria, and you wonder, how can anybody live in that level of discomfort, we say from our level of comfort? I'm never going to, by God, I'm going to keep them out. Not going to have anybody contaminate us like that so what do we need from that area of the country that will maintain our level of comfort well it's clear isn't it it's oil so we'll do anything we need that's where we that's where we we throw in the chips here we're not going to to allow that threshold to decrease well you know The tire has a hole in it and we're flattening this thing. You can't sustain it and we don't have the skill but basically we don't have the wisdom to be able to move this thing in a way that keeps ourselves adjusted so that we can handle whatever level of comfort comes. But the sense that nothing continues, I really want us to sense that. There, nothing continues in this world. Nothing. Now that is not some philosophy, right? That is an experiential truth. And as we enter our lives, we enter our minds, we see that no matter where I place my attention, it lasts no longer than that so the craving leads the the sense of the of me speaking about what i need and my history with that object arising in consciousness with ignorance it's a little bit like saying, you know, what did I see at the zoo? I saw a zebra. The next person says, I saw a zebra and a lion. The next person says, I saw a zebra and a lion and a horse. And then It's like that. This, is, this thing just keeps, it's like, okay, so what do we got in this? We've got ignorance. We've got sanskaras. We've got consciousness. We've got name and form. <laughs> right? And now we've got me. Becoming. I have become. I have arisen. I have arisen. Self-arising. Through conversation, really. And I have to keep the conversation going with things so that I have a relationship to them, so that I know I'm alive. It's like an echo chamber. If I say call that something, I can believe that that thing that I am calling something is outside of me as separate from me. Although it's all happening here. All the memory in which I know it, to, what to call it is in me. My feelings about it are in me. My proliferation of thought is in me. That thing has nothing at all to do with me. But I have to keep this up so that I can Pretend that it does, and therefore place it outside of me as an object that I need in order for my comfort to be sustained, and on and on. And if I quit the conversation, it starts folding back in because it's the conversation that keeps it externalized, it keeps it separate from. Is this madness? Why are we getting this? I don't mean us in the room. I mean as a culture, as a society, as a, as a species. This is so obvious when you start looking that we're creating our own misery. And so when we become, guess what? Things are born. We are being birthed. From our becoming. And so the next step from becoming. Is that we start. Okay. I've got it now. I've got the satisfaction. I've always wanted. We birth. What we are chasing after. The contentment. The happiness. Where is it? It's up ahead. I'll keep trying it. I'll keep birthing the hope. That it is up there. That I can grasp it. I can obtain it. And once I get there and put my hands around it guess what happens the 12th and final link death it goes away (laughs) the ultimate horror show it didn't stay around But that doesn't deter me. Why? Because I don't care. I'm not watching. I'm not paying attention. This is being led by ignorance. Ignorance is the absence of attention. So I just believe circumstances have created the disappearance of something I want and I just need to go after it and be more resolved, build my character, obtain the skills I need, and then I can master it and find it, hold it, and maybe it'll last that time. And then I do all that. I grab it again and... But that doesn't deter me. <laughs> this is the worst nightmare. It is the irre- It's the forever stuck record. You remember records? <laughs> they used to get stuck. <laughs> to our horror, they would <laughs> move... You get up there and hit the needle. It goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in one. This is called samsara, and it, it, it's round and around and around and around and around. And around. And as long as we're governed by ignorance, it goes around and continues to go around. And so it is the rare person who will say, enough. I want to see, which is the motivation for dispelling the ignorance. I want to see. This needs to be seen. This needs to be understood. Why is there so much pain here? So much suffering that doesn't ever seem to resolve itself. What needs to occur? What needs to be seen so this can be unhooked? That's the resolve. And then it starts working in a completely opposite way. And I look forward to moving all of us through that next sequence can we sit for a minute or two so as you sit I mean when you actually listen to Shakespeare I'm not Identifying myself with Shakespeare—that those would, that's not what I'm doing. I'm identifying the Dharma as something we stretch up to, like we stretch up to Shakespeare. But when you listen, to, it's fulfilling. There's a sense, wow, this—it's amazing how he. If you miss a single phrase, you can miss half a scene. And so too in this, in this Dharma presentation. You know, it's so amazing if we're not afraid of the consequences of it, let us not be afraid of the consequences. Because the consequences are to our advantage. The only thing we ever lose in here, the only thing is the idea of me. And it's an idea. So if you take an idea away, what's lost? You don't go amnesic. You remember what the idea was, those things still arise. We can still navigate through the world and say, I, me, and mine. that they don't hold the same truth that they did prior to seeing it as an idea. And therefore, at that point, wisdom surpasses ignorance, outweighs it. And once it is loaded in the direction of wisdom, the consciousness is loaded, then it's just a matter of time before the scales tip completely in the reverse order. Okay, so if there are any questions or comments about anything? Okay, so uh, when you ask questions, and I really appreciate that question. Try to make it as simple as I can so I can say it back to the... So have you... I I have enough to go on if you... Okay, yeah. So the um, question she asked was uh, that, you know, not knowing what lies outside of the idea of I... There's, it it's very fearful to move in a direction in which that is not known, which there's no certainty to that. So that's the paradox of the whole thing. If you had certainty about what was outside of it, then that certainly, certainty would define you in moving outside. And then it wouldn't be what it was, which is the last loss of certainty. It would be you f- moving outside with more certainty. You see, so... Something has to end here for us to move outside. So, those who have had the experience of being outside say to you, you have nothing to fear. Why would any of us say that if you did have something to fear? I'm not interested in sending you out on the Serengeti Plains without a rifle. You know, you'd be gone in an evening. I don't want that for anyone. So, hearing there needs to be some faith okay so unless you think i'm i'm and others are motivated by something else i'm going because if i look at the situation i'm in it's like being in jail i'm in jail I can feel the bars, I can feel the containment, I can feel the pressure, I can feel the pain of being in jail, I can feel the misery of being constru- confined. I don't like it anymore, so I don't really care what's out there. If it's outside of here, it has to be better than here. And so you just start... That's kind of like the threshold, you just start, enough is enough, I'm out of here. And it does require a certain resolve. And I think... For most people, much of their practice is coming to that sense of resolve in themselves. And how do you do that? You come in and you start looking at the jail that you're in. And you think, God, I do this and that happens. And every time this happens, I get upset and angry with myself. And I'm always finding my, uh, the state. I'm just being governed by this whatever state of mind I'm under. Wait a second, I'm in jail. And then through the recognition of what we've been unwilling to see in ourselves and the confinement of that, you're willing to escape. That's how it works. But then the question I would pose on some of you is, have you seen sufficiently how entrapped you are? If you haven't, you have more t- probably more time to spend in that direction. It's okay the fear I have for some of you is that your life is so affluent that you can keep buying your way out of the conclusion. But you can't buy your way out of old age and death. Try. And that's its final conclusion. And so as we get older, we need to also sober up. You know, this isn't going away. Okay, other hands or comments? Do you mean inward noise? So she's saying uh, she, she appreciated the fact that, uh, the curios- that pain should draw our curiosity rather than our reaction. And that what happens with her is that as she uh, starts noticing the effect of noise on her, she stops and gets curious about that noise and then suddenly it gets still. Noise and pain are really the same thing. If you think of the st- stage of becoming that's a very noisy stage when you're proclaiming what you need from life and the, all the uh, uh, decibels of your aversion or your attraction to what it is that's in front of you and how you're grasping and need it and want to keep it going and all of that gets very, it gets very loud in there. You go, wait a second. And you, there's, there's a dropping down then, out of the paradigm when you're willing to let go of the noise for the noise sake or for what it's telling you, you're willing to release or surrender the noise, it takes you to stillness. And stillness is out of the paradigm in that moment. It's, you're no longer confined in that way. But developing curiosity for pain is very difficult to do because that's not our Conditioning. That's not our ignorance. Our ignorance leads here. And so, first of all, we try to protect ourselves from the pain because we think that it implicates us. Like if I'm in pain, you know, we have a lot of adjectives about being in pain, that we're a coward or that we're weak or that we're... You name it. Or the pain shows a certain sense of us that we don't want anyone else to see, like I'm inadequate or... insufficient or whatever and we try to protect others from seeing that by disguising ourselves away from our pain so this is this sobering this honesty this absolute honesty to say you know I don't really bless your hearts but I don't care what you think of me and then you don't doesn't make you a bad person It makes you independent of others' opinions so that you can really look and see for yourself free of those that influence. And you say, okay, if I feel insufficient, I don't care. You see, but but as long as we're sort of self-protective and timid about what we're going to see in our psyche because we think we're too fragile in there, you'll never look. And so the pain will continue and you'll, you'll, tr- you'll try to overcompensate for the pain rather than to go into it. But the pain is, the, is the, uh, it's the marker. It says, look at me, look at me. Wherever there's pain, there's ignorance. Look at me. It's an j- opportunity to, wait a minute, there's ignorance going on here. Are you getting a sense of this? It's interesting, isn't it? Now don't, here's what, don't, oh, this is beyond me, I can't. Just stay with it. Let it absorb in. And you start hearing the same things, because we're going to be doing this for some time. You'll start hearing the linkages, and those will become part of the homeworks. And if you apply yourself to homework, soon the linkages will wake you up. you go, oh, wait a second here, what noise am I making in this moment? Where am I leaning into this moment? There'll be a number of avenues by which your curiosity could interrupt the sequencing of pain. Bonnie? Um, so I have a question. So, you know, there's this beautiful theoretical conceptual understanding of all this stuff. And on the other hand, there's like a um, there's an insight. So do we is the insight into every single link of the presentation, are there... Is, is there a that, shortcut to Candyland? <laughs> no, I know. So is there a short? I mean, is, do we have to have insights into every single one of the links? No, you don't. You don't. And in fact, I had to go back and have a cheat sheet to even remember the sequencing. Because right? I, don't, I don't think of it that way. But I do think about who is it that's angry. I use the, sum, the summation of where all these languages go. And I have the subtlety of awareness to be able to see myself arising. Which you could say is the, the stage of becoming. And then questioning the place that that becoming takes its stand upon. What this sequencing does, it's very much the Buddhist way of asking, who am I? And it also gives you a variety of different places where you can become curious. Who am I doesn't hold curiosity for everyone. But, perhaps, moving, you know, desire does. Like, what what is all this desire? What is this? Or death, or birth, or Whatever or just saying realizing that what consciousness is or so it gives you a number of things to explore all of which can be conclusions and end these just takes one of the dominoes coming out for the whole thing to be neutralized so i want to give you the complete array and then you'll develop your own sense of what's important for you within this array and how you can operate it based on your curiosity. Uh, But I think it's interesting to see this whole array. I think it's very, very interesting. And the other thing it does, which I don't believe the question, who am I, does as well, is it shows you conclusively that no matter where you take yourself to be, you are impermanent in that spot. This is an arising, a conditioned arising. You can, if you ask who am I you can still hold the fact that hearing, seeing, smelling and tasting is constantly there within the question who am I you can't do that with dependent origination or you can hold the fact that consciousness is continuous and the seed of self then starts saying well if I'm not okay I'm not there but I'm all of consciousness and as the sense of self begins to feel its boundarylessness it's just a short hop to I am God. But if that's even undermined because you can't claim ownership of that either, then even God has nowhere to land. Okay. <laughs> I leave you on that point. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.